0: Hello and welcome to another podcast for The Diplomat. I am Luke Hunt and with me is Marcus Hartke. Now, Marcus has been a prominent figure in Cambodia for more than 20 years where he has done exceptional work in protecting the environment, although I suspect he would doubt his success but there has been many and uh, in Cambodia when it comes to the environment there have also been many failures. Marcus give us a rundown on how you first came to Cambodia. Why here and what kind of country did you find back then?
1: I first came to Cambodia in 1996 and my background was in environmental law with a special focus on uh, Forest protection, especially tropical forests. And Cambodia was an exceptional case because of the civil war. It was basically frozen in time. All the destruction, the systematic destruction of uh, forests in neighboring countries, be it Thailand or Vietnam, Philippines, it all started decades earlier. And uh, Cambodia was kind of a place that still had original, old growth forest landscapes right so it was really really special and it was really a time to okay maybe we can protect something here that is gone in other places so that was the original idea right so first i came to look at the illegal logging situation made a report about it and then came back with some funding to build up some protected area management Mm -hmm. train the rangers, get some equipment, stuff like that. Because at that time, there basically were no protected areas. They were all on paper.
0: Right, and in 1996, there was still two years of the civil war uh, to run. How how did you find working within that environment?
1: Um, It was really funny in in places, because um, in many areas, the Khmer Rouge just basically gave up defected and they just changed uniforms but they still had the same people in the right. area and of course they were kind of local so so you ended up sometimes with um, people in park ranger uniform with absolutely no
0: training still had their old weapons right and they are kind of ex rouge right were they looting the forests or were they protecting them
1: no it's actually quite interesting i mean When you talk to them, they were like, well, before the forest was protecting us, now it's our duty to protect the
0: forest. Right, so slightly holistic perhaps? Uh, Yeah, a little (laughs) bit
1: kind of uh, simplistic, but also kind of very, I wouldn't say call
0: it wise, but very honest, honest point of view. I kind of meant holistic, as (laughs) in uh, sort of one with the forests. Yeah, well...
1: Traditional beliefs also play a role there. Right. I mean, the livelihood pretty much depends on the forest out there mm-hmm. at that time, at least. And uh, you have the nectars, you have the the spirits, you have all kinds of things, and people kind of feel. Forest belongs to them, they belong to the forest, it's kind of a cultural link. Sure. It's Uh, not a modernistic urban uh, environment
0: thing. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Now, you were involved and worked closely with law enforcement agencies. I mean, there was a famous bust in uh, a raid in 2000 in Thailand, I think, where you rescued uh, some cub tigers, and uh, that was quite unprecedented at the time. Yeah,
1: that was one of the first actions against organized wildlife trade in Cambodia. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you run us, take, take us through that?
1: Well, at that time I was with uh, Global Witness and Global Witness was the official forest crime monitor mm-hmm. hired by international community and the government to monitor forestry reform and what's going on. So we were kind of independent from government but working with government. And Wildlife Alliance, at that time WildAid, came to Cambodia and wanted to do big action against wildlife trade. Right. So naturally they came to us and asked us for help. Mm-hmm. And uh, we cooperated with a link to law enforcement to to do a couple of sting operations to pretend to be buyers of tigers primarily, mm-hmm. but also bears and all kinds of stuff. And um, we set it up and then we busted them in a sting operation
0: at right. a given time. Uh, well, what did you recover?
1: Uh, we got five live tigers in one week in three separate operations, mm-hmm. and we closed five or six major wildlife trade centers, shops in Phnom Penh. Right. Is there? Uh, this was the first time that mm-hmm. the military police was actually used for something like that.
0: Right. How, how has um, the wildlife trade monitoring? And I guess ending it, how has that fared in the last 20 years? Well,
1: in Cambodia, there were some successes that the big markets were closed down. Mm -hmm. I mean, in the earlier days, you could buy tiger skins and all kinds of stuff just in the normal market. Right. And then you have all the restaurants with endangered species for sale. And they somehow managed to close these places down. So now these markets are more in the provinces and smaller and uh, not permanent.
0: Right, so it's difficult.
1: Which is really, really better than in Vietnam or even in Thailand. If you Mm -hmm. go to Bangkok, you go to a big weekend market, you find endangered wildlife there for sale. Right. And in Vietnam, the same thing. So, in that sense, in Cambodia, it made progress. Mm -hmm. But in general, the hunting pressure is just uh, increasing. Right. Still increasing and the habitat is shrinking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, I mean, we lost wild tigers already.
0: They've gone extinct.
1: Yeah. All large cats are in danger in Cambodia. I mean, pangolins, big problem.
0: No, especially with uh, Chinese medicine. Yeah, yeah.
1: And it's getting it's getting bizarre. There's this little biodiversity center in Siem Reap. Mm-hmm. And they have all kinds of things. They have a few monkeys and this and that. And, and then they had one pangolin and for that pangolin they actually had a kind of a bunker concrete bunker with steel doors
0: just to protect it from being robbed from being robbed yeah oh dear <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's quite amazing i mean i've been working on a uh, on surveys lately in the response to among the public the response to uh, covid19 and wildlife markets and i was kind of surprised to see that bat feces is uh used for eye ointments in traditional Chinese medicine. I hasten to add, that's nonsense, that just really shouldn't be happening. How do you change people's behavior?
1: Oh yeah, how do you change? Well, you can, well, on the one hand, it's it's just changing by changing lifestyles. The more urban people get, the more they lose the traditional link, except when it comes to uh, high profile, high prestige, objects like rhino horn right, or something like that then uh, people are still into it but it's, it's slowly fading away it, even in China as a kind of traditional mm. mainstream thing uh, not everything is bad but uh, it shouldn't be done from endangered species.
0: Right, I remember you saying uh, quite a few years ago now that uh I think the biggest enemy were the roads and that once you put a road through a forest and people like putting roads through forests because each logger's worth anywhere up to $10,000 and the more you can take, the more you can put in the bank. But is it possible to leave a large chunk of wilderness in Southeast Asia or Cambodia to just leave it alone and let it be? Oh, wow. Personally, I'd like to see that. I think a lot of people would, but the human growth pressures are enormous.
1: Yeah, well, we managed to hold the line for quite a while in Cambodia. Mm -hmm. And because Cambodia didn't have the same population pressure as other places, you still had large connected landscapes, which is different from just a little mountain, and you call it a national park or so, and it's basically just an open zoo, or so, and the rest is flat. Mm. Uh, so Cambodia you still have that, but it's it's getting more and more fragmented. And is it possible? Well, if you would have a committed government, it would be possible, but uh, there are too many interests in this government that actually want to destroy the forest, still, right. despite whatever they say. Yep. It's kind of an illusion. It's, it's almost like a...
0: What can you say it's a bizarre show that they do these days? go with wealth. And Cambodia had quite literally nothing 20 years ago. but Now there's probably uh, at least a dozen billionaires who are also in Parliament. How do you deal with such powerful people and the corruption which uh, Cambodia is notorious for? It's not overwhelmingly 100%, but uh, it is an enormous factor in any kind of business that's being done here. It's a fundamental
1: problem. And this is what these projects all get wrong. They see conservation as a kind of a technical issue and they hire biologists or so to solve that. And they do surveys and they found there's critters and whatever, but it's not about biology. It's about governance. It's about power, power relations. It's about corruption and every conservation project, especially forest conservation in countries like Cambodia or in Indonesia too, they have to be first and foremost governance projects. So you have to fight the corruption, you have to get accountability, you have to get transparency because the people who are actually the worst loggers usually wear uniform. Right. So, and you you cannot solve this by giving them better equipment or doing Mm -hmm. a little awareness Mm -hmm. or doing little Non timber forest projects like honey collection, or so that's all fine, but it's all child's play if you don't address the big issues. Yeah. And this is big corruption, collusion, and top down power relations because right. you have the local people and they have the forest, they want to use the forest for their own purposes, and then you have the hotshots in the capital who also want to take the forest for their purposes, for their profit. So, and they it's not about trees, it's about money, and it's about power, mm-hmm. and that's fundamental and all these groups like the WWF or the CI or so, they don't want to see that and they don't want to address it because then they would face real problems. All right. So they continue playing around with technical issues, but there's nothing technical
0: about it. If they get serious about it, they probably would not be allowed to operate in this country.
1: That is true, yeah. Uh, but um, that is probably better than providing a green cover right, for government corruption. Yeah. Right.
0: Um, another issue, which I think is as important and goes back to what you were saying about governance, is uh, wages. I mean, the people in the countryside make nothing, and when a log could be worth, as I mentioned earlier, anywhere between uh, three and ten thousand dollars. Plucking numbers out of the air—that's a lot of money to people who might be lucky to make a hundred dollars a month. And then, when you multiply that one log by a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, that's mega dollars for the people who can, uh, at the other end, who can trade those logs out of Phnom Penh and um, into furniture-making factories of Japan or Vietnam. Is it possible to address that? issue it's, it's Cambodians have always suffered from extremely low wages uh, which puts them in a in an extremely difficult position in terms of you know what comes first the tree or food on the table
1: yeah but what we have seen in the last 20 years is uh, the people the forest people the locals mm-hmm. they don't really make any money from that right this it, is, it, is, yep. it is the higher up people and we see this actually more and more What they sell you now as, what the government is selling you as conservation Mm -hmm. is basically just a grab on the resource, keeping the small guys out and using it for the cronies. Mm -hmm. So it's basically, again, it's like a power. The small guys, they don't have a chance to, to just cut down a tree and make some money from it because it's really highly controlled. If the small guy does it, then he gets into big trouble. Minimum, he has to pay a lot of money in bribes, to all kinds of uniforms involved. Maximum, he might get arrested or even killed. And um, the power is concentrated and basically it's a it's a resource grab from the capital in these areas. So the small guys never get rich. They can maximum work as a laborer. They get five, ten dollars per cubic meter, but uh, they don't make the big money.
0: Right. And then there's a the fear factor. And I have in mind the uh environmentalists in this country have come under enormous pressure as have uh, the journalists particularly since the 2018 election or even earlier than that how do environmentalists or uh, the wildlife NGOs how how do they cope working in this kind of environment where Cambodia is now a one-party state there is no functioning opposition although people were highly critical of the opposition before 2018 when the elections return this country to a one-party state uh, how how have they coped and there there have been assassinations there have been people locked up there have been all sorts of pressure has been applied.
1: There are not many conservation groups that actually have an impact in Cambodia you have a handful of local activists Mm -hmm. and uh, The human rights NGOs are actually helping more when it comes to natural resources than the conservation groups. How is that? Well, because they represent human rights, rights of local people. Mm -hmm. When you have indigenous people, their forest gets stolen. They make a complaint to a human rights NGO. They forward that complaint. They make it public, media. You will never see this from the organized international conservation groups. Something can happen under their notice. They wouldn't dare to criticize the government. Maybe they internally talk to their counterpart in the line ministry Mm -hmm. but they don't advocate for conservation because it's not their business model. The business model is close cooperation with whatever government is there and treat it like an issue. They they do ranger training. They do ranger training since the Mm mid-90s. Every other year another group comes along and is doing ranger training to help with the complete corrupt situation of the ranger force, which is of course nonsense because you can train them whatever you want. (laughs) If the park director Mm -hmm. gets paid monthly by a big logging tycoon (laughs) to look the other way, it's nonsense what you train the Rangers and if you train them since 20 years and they still haven't got it right. then it's pointless anyway how, but they have this model and mm-hmm. they just don't change the model because this is kind of the module they do and this is what they get funding for and this is just the system
0: right. it is a sad state of affairs how much of Cambodia's primary covered forests is now gone or what are we looking at today in 2020 as opposed to say 20 years ago
1: oh it changed dramatically i mean the one thing we managed to do is to stop the industrial logging in around 2002 2003 Mm -hmm. so that gave breathing space for the forest and for everything of course government then found another trick they just called it plantation management so land concessions so they grabbed a lot of forest then under this disguise, and mm. they didn't stop with the protected areas. They gave two million hectare of forest land to private companies, often foreign companies, and many of them just stole the trees and ran away.
0: I've always been surprised by Malaysia, where they insist on international journalists saying that Malaysia is 90% covered by forests, and it's not. They actually include palm oil plantations, which are lifeless, and you, know, you drive for miles and miles and miles up the peninsula or across Borneo and all you see is this monoculture, single plant, no wildlife and to suggest that this is a forest is insane but they would really like the rest of the world to believe that. Are we seeing a similar attitudes evolving here?
1: Yes, but it's not palm oil, it's rubber here. Most of these large, large scale clearings are for rubber plantation and uh many of them never worked out because the soil was not right or whatnot but it's rubber i mean before you were driving some provincial roads and the trees on both sides of, they were covering the road basically now you see you, you drive half across the country you don't see forest you see no. fucking rubber and then <laughs> and then uh yeah it's uh it's pretty sad it, it went away rapidly but uh there are still landscapes out there but they're getting more and more fragmented
0: right i'm thinking uh the, the cardamons is one area that might be saved the cardamom mountains in the west southwest of the country well topography is basically
1: the best and uh, it's actually the only real protection there is apart from wars
0: <laughs> one, <laughs> yeah. of, one of the great uh, byproducts <laughs> of 30 years of war here is that a lot of the forests and to some extent, uh, animals that were away from human habitat uh, managed to uh, recover or at least maintain where they were uh, basically before the colonials arrived, I I would imagine.
1: Oh yeah, landmines, silent guardians of the forest. (laughs) (laughs) Not so good for elephants, though, but... uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's true. And and we could see that. Ten years ago, you fly over the country, you see exactly Mm. cleared area, and then there's a bunch of old trees standing there for, I don't know, 1,000 hectares, two thousand, five thousand hectares. Mm-hmm. And you know, ha, mines. That's why the trees are still there. Right. So, well, it's uh, it's not that much of a problem anymore, but the cardamoms are protected because they are mountains, and mountains usually last the longest. I mean, right. it's, it's easy to convert for agriculture, for land grabs and you see it in the in the east also mm-hmm. mondokiri near the vietnamese border there's a protected area and protected area or not the vietnamese came in government just sold everything despite being a protected
0: area or not it was a, a
1: red area carbon trade right Nobody interested in As in
0: R E D D. Yeah. If I remember correctly, which was uh, a scheme touted around the world at one point about 10, 15 years ago, uh, it, it t- kind of stock market trading in uh, carbon emissions.
1: Yeah, they still they still promote it. It's right. still there, but it's yeah, it's another of these. Uh, a lot of people make money from it. Sure. You have all these middlemen in there and it's great for researchers, and it's funding international conservation groups, but uh, it's not working. And Cambodia is a classic example. Like that area in the east, big project certified whatsoever. Ministry signed papers and gave 40,000 hectares to Vietnamese for rubber plantation. And you really see the Vietnamese grabbed all the lowlands, and only where the mountains start, that area is still there. So there's basically, yeah, they ignored the law. They ignored the whole concept of a protected area. Okay. So yeah, if you have if you have mountains, that's probably the last area to go. Mm. You see that in Thailand too. If you look at the map of Thailand, you have yeah. very much, a lot of lowlands but nothing there but
0: the highlands. So the, the last 20 years has been uh, one hell of an experience in regards to attempts to protect the, inv- uh, the natural environment in Cambodia. What would you like to see happen? If you could uh, wave a magic wand and set things back on course, what would you do?
1: Well, our biggest problem is corruption. We have all the right laws on paper and on the books, but we have basically two systems. We have the official system, the official legal system, and then we have the shadow system, which is setting exactly behind, and it's always corrupting the legal situation, uh, the the correct way to do stuff. And um, it's really, it's so corrosive. It's really sad to see because the shadow system is basically causing real conflict between the people because in the past, and we had many projects working with the locals, we organized uh, the community patrols to stop loggers, confiscate chainsaws and all of that. And the people were behind it and the people you don't, you don't have to convince them. They wanted to protect the forest and they, they didn't want to get paid or anything. They just wanted to do it. And because of the corrupt system, the locals have lost hope. And now they basically get the attitude of, um, well, if it's going away anyway, and it's a lawless situations and the cronies can do whatever they want, but we are the poor and we cannot get anything that leads to conflict. And we see this more and more and more now that the locals basically come together and fight back like checkpoint mm-hmm. rangers military police whatsoever and they extort money from some small logger with a structure trailer or so right. and if he doesn't have money they confiscate the stuff but an hour later you maybe have 100 people
0: mm-hmm.
1: with, with clubs and they come to the military police station or the ranger station and they demand everything back or they start burning down ranger stations and all that this is happening That's now right. so the corruption and the injustice in the system is basically corroding management of anything in the system. It's corroding protection of the environment and it's uh, corroding any kind of fair resource use. And that's, that's the biggest problem we had. So it's a governance problem and it's just coming from the top. We have too much um, impunity at the highest level. Everybody is just taxing the law and not right. implementing it. So the small guys are corrupt and they prey on the small guys. The big guys pay up in front. They can do whatever they want. We even had that last year. We had a huge logging operation in a protected area in the Karamons in some costs. Huge. Three sawmills, transports from the forest to Phnom Penh, to Sihanoukville Port, to Vietnam, to China. And uh, nobody was doing anything.
0: And that was all was- illegal.
1: No, it was completely illegal. There was not even a cover. So right. Often they use a cover. They they have one permit and they use it like 500 times Right. or they say, oh, it's from our area here, but they steal it from yeah. another yeah. area. But right. this was 100% illegal and it was opening and it's impossible that not the whole province knew about it and nobody was doing anything about it. So it's really a lawless
0: situation. Where people don't simply don't care the way they used to. Is that fair? Well,
1: some complain and the others just trying to get a little piece of the loot, a little piece of the pie, just grab a little bit money from each truck that goes out. But you see the whole system is corrupted in that sense because it's it's impossible that the ministers here in Phnom Penh didn't know about it down to the lowest ranger level, everybody knew about it and nobody was doing anything. But we managed to stop it by using the European Union by using the ambassador of the EU, who personally intervened with the Minister of Interior and presented proof. And a few days later, they went in and they burned everything down, the whole operation. So, so as you see, it's 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 also chaotic. It's also chaos. They have different groups with different interests within government and competing. they're competing too. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of mad.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on, that, on that note. Um, Uh, Marcus, you've been here from your native Germany for a long time. Uh, What are your plans for where next in terms of uh, the environment, whether it's Cambodia or elsewhere? Well, when I came with the funding, when I
1: came back after my first trip with the funding for protected area, for ranger training and so on, I thought it would take maybe a month. So I went to the ministry, and it's he like, hey, I have some money for you to help you with your protected areas. Yeah. What, what do we do with the money? And the boss of the protected area office, he turned around, looked at the map behind him, and he was like, oh, there's one protected area. Oh, look, there's another one. Which one do you want? And I'm like, uh, okay, I, I, uh, <laughs> so I, I, I
0: check for myself. What Thank was you. supposed to be a month uh, became almost quarter of a century.
1: Yeah, I, I just one and then oh let's still do this and then oh yeah let's still do that oh it's like uh no you shouldn't do it like this you should do it like that and somebody says oh good idea here's some money do it
0: <laughs> oh well i hope yeah, I, I hope there's more coming your way i think we're living in uh, extraordinary times and uh, life in cambodia like everywhere else is changing fast particularly with the covid-19 and the economic impact of all that marcus look thanks very much for coming in today it's it's been a wonderful chat and um, all the best for the future okay thanks bye